maybe water on afterwards is the way to go. No, that has nothing to... Yep, water on. That's the only difference I can see. Water <laughs> on after the toothpaste. No, you put the water to make the bristles wet so it can grab the toothpaste better. That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. No. Mm-hmm. Why would you wet toothpaste that's already a gel? It does not need to be slimy. Because I, I like it that way. <laughs> I like it gritty. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 32, Capelin Beach. The beginning of this chapter goes over how the public holds the wit, or at least what their public opinion is on the wit. And it goes over what we kind of know already, that it's held in public disdain and a bunch of things like that. I believe we actually read this excerpt like... A really long time, maybe during the first book, because I specifically remember this and I wouldn't remember this clearly if it was just just because of a reread. So we for sure have mentioned this because it might be the most in-depth wit passage, but it also has a little bit of fits coming through. There is a part in the middle that is talking about how people think the wit is evil and the author says... I believe the wit is as natural a magic as a man can claim. And mm-hmm. so this is... Tom Badgerlock, as we yes. assume. I assume that's a really good way to prove that this is Fitz. <laughs> because we know that he does think that this is a natural thing. Yeah, and Fitz, or I guess the author, says that... The wit lets a flock of birds in flight suddenly wheel as one, or a school of fingerlings hold place together in a swiftly flowing stream. It is also the wit that sends a mother to her child's bedside just as the babe is awakening. I believe it is at the heart of all wordless communication, and that all humans possess some small aptitude for it, recognized or not. Which is something that we reference quite often. Yes. At least I do. (laughs) Yes. Which is also why I think that we have read this before Mm -hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. So it's stuff that we've talked about before and can quickly move on to it to the skill road and traveling. So they had camped about a hill away, at least out of sight of the skill road last walking, retracing their steps back from the stone dragon gardens And going back to the road to continue on the road to their final destination, they finally make it back to the skill road and continue along back on it. But not until Fitz makes a remark out to Kettle of like, hey, I could be one stride away from him looking at the skill pillar. Yes. One stride away from Verity. She's like, well, not if you want to die or (laughs) be horribly consumed by this. She also says... Have you taken complete leave of your senses? Do you think any one skill user could stand against a trained coterie? Verity did, I replied, thinking of Tradeford and how he had saved me. The rest of that morning, she walked with a thoughtful look on her face. So I wonder if she is trying to imagine one person defeating a trained coterie, or if she's trying to decide what has changed in her time since becoming a coterie member. I think that would point to the fact that 
the coterie that exists now is not a full coterie and was not trained to the same extent. Although I guess I don't know for sure if they, I would think they would be considered a full coterie, but they didn't have the scrolls, right? Right. Yeah. They, they might not be trained to the full extent that skill masters were back in the day, but I think they are right. a full coterie. They can rely on each other's strength. They can, you know, that's what I'm the full connection is that they don't have the full training, right? They're a coterie, but they're not like, a bakery, uh, like a pastry chef in a regular mom and pop bakery versus like a five star Michelin baker. Like they're the same thing. They can do the same thing. There's just a bit of a difference right. <laughs> in knowledge, I assume. I don't know. Maybe that's not a good example, but well, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Fitz continues to walk and he's kind of reflecting on the skill and what happened and he felt a nagging sense of loss within himself and it wasn't for a while until he realized that that was Verity that sense that Verity was riding with him through the skill is gone now he had been with him for over a year and now all of a sudden it was gone he wasn't always certain that Verity had been with him the whole time but he must have been because it was a skill connection and he popped up later but Fitz wasn't always aware of him so he can't really vocalize that to Kettle or Ketrakin or Starling even by saying, hey, Verity's not with me anymore, even though I wasn't sure he was always with me. But sometimes I felt him. But now for sure he's gone. Like It's just too weird and cumbersome of a concept for them, at least to Fitz's mind, to Fitz's mind and to probably Ketrakin and Starling that why would he bring it up? You know, why would he even get the hopes up or dash the hopes of Ketrakin at this point and say, like, he might be dead, he might be scattered, he might be too weak. But I'm not sure because this is a very nebulous thing. Right. I do want to back up for a second, though, because Fitz specifically says that he's been with him the whole year. And while he doesn't, he wasn't for sure when he, if he was there the whole time, Clearly he was, or else he would have felt this longing, right. like yeah. something is gone. You need the a physical touch to rekindle it. Right. And so I was thinking about that, and I was wondering how that works, considering Fitz is convinced he died in the dungeons. Because how would Verity have stayed in the conscious? We know Night Eyes cannot use the skill through fits. He can go over the skill bridge to physically attack someone in their mind mentally. I guess physically, mentally, you know, (laughs) a little weird. But we know that there is limitation to it and that they don't really go across to each other. So when Fitz was in Night Eyes, I don't think that Verity could have been there too. I think he could have. Okay, well. I just think he was dormant. I disagree. So I am wondering if maybe Verity stayed in Fitz's body. Mm. And I think this because both Burek and Chade are convinced that Fitz was still alive. And we know that Verity can use the skill to see through Fitz's mind. We know that the skill can allows you to like kind of control other people as Fitz did with Shrewd 
he was King Shrewd for a hot minute and was asking about Molly and was using the body of Shrewd. So I'm wondering if that means that Verity took over Fitz's body knowingly or not, or was like just keeping it alive in some capacity. So he actually was alive and Fitz thinks there's no way because I wasn't in there. But what if it doesn't matter because somebody else was? Interesting. That's a really interesting theory that I, I, I'm not sure about the implications of that because it feels like that could be some plot point of an evil overlord trying (laughs) to find witted and skilled people making the witted person close to like establishing a link with them, making the witted person close to death, flee them. And then that evil overlord has multiple bodies that he can control as like, so <laughs> I don't, comes, you know, yes, I don't think it's like super strong. I think first of all, there's definitely more of a possibility of this being true because of a relationship in kin. Like they're, mm. si- they're not siblings. Yeah. They're related yeah. through blood. So there's that going for them. Also, clearly he wasn't up and walking around and like, hey, I'm definitely Fitz. Don't kill me. He was just barely maintaining life. So Right. And I'm sure that's because Verity was also barely maintained. Right. So I, I don't think this is like you can take over somebody for extended periods of time and like control everything. We don't know. We don't know the extent. And the fool was taken over, but he remembers it. But that's because his soul is with him. Mm-hmm. But if your soul isn't there, does the meat, stu- uh, meat suit still work? You know, I don't know. Because there is a bit of soul in him because he's connected through the yeah. skill. I don't know. All I'm saying is I read that and was like, I have some thoughts. <laughs> so I had to get my tinfoil hat theory out there. No, that that it could make sense. Definitely. I feel like I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it because I think that makes sense and it'd be a really cool application of the skill or consequence of the skill. Something that's never explored because we don't see old blood and the skill mixing too often or get point of view consequences of what happens when Fitz leaves his body. Mm -hmm. From what we had talked about beforehand, we were, at least I was convinced that Chade and Burek were technically correct. Right. That his body never fully died because it was just like a hibernation kind of thing due to, you know, whatever Chade mixed up for him. Right. It makes sense that it would have some help in staying alive a little bit. But with Fitz saying, I was dead for sure, I believe the conversation that I was pushing again this is a while ago <laughs> beginning of this book yes or end of last one i guess i believe i was talking about that in fitz's mind that part of him died right that like fitz chivalry was dead that body was garbage and and disused you know everything like that because that's what he was feeling at the time and what he had kind of had to do to let go to move into night eyes mm-hmm but it always did seem like a little bit of a stretch that Chade's poison could slow it for so long. But again, we don't know how long he was quote unquote dead for right long enough to be dead, to be confirmed, to be, have his wounds dressed and cleaned and buried 
by Patience and Lacey. So I'm guessing at least a full day, probably two. I would, yeah. And I mean, enough to where Burek was concerned it wouldn't work. Yeah. I mean, like two, three days of like, yeah, is this person yeah. still going to be there? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think potentially that's a way that you could explain that yeah. it was kept alive and obviously not super like to a full capacity. Right. Like when Fitz gets back, just his little, body hurts. It's stiff. Little remnant of life. That's yeah. just kind of like, hey, baseline. Heart keep beating. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. So that's just a thought I had. Obviously, I have no idea. I didn't write this book, <laughs> but I would be very interested to hear what our listeners think about it. Yeah, definitely. That is a, a very cool thought. I like that. But now that seed is gone. That little bit of verity is gone. And Fitz is concerned, of course, but he can't do anything about it. Right. And it is a little bit annoying. This is one of my least favorite habits of Fitz where he decides things for other people. This isn't important because I don't think it's important and I don't need to talk about it to the group. I've decided that, you know, and I get it because he doesn't want to hurt Ketrickin, but I feel like Kettle might know something. He knows Kettle knows stuff. So... Maybe she could help with this and maybe she couldn't, but I hate that he keeps it to himself either way. <laughs> so I pushed my worries down and kept silent. Also, Pretty common theme. Yes. Also not a great thing to do. <laughs> they continued on. It traveled for several more days. They say that the weather was rainy in fitful, windy way. Supplies were getting low. And they were foraging and hunting, and those foods that Night Eyes and him would gather were becoming very important to the group as a whole because their supplies were getting so low. Right. And on top of this, they are traveling in this like bad weather, things are looking bleak, and the fool is being doused with elf bark. Mm-hmm. He's taking it regularly, trying to keep the coterie out, and with the elf bark comes the usual symptoms of super high energy and then really low mood. Yep. And it is making it unbearable to travel with the fool. He goes from doing cartwheels down the road to being super mean to everybody and telling everybody that this is pointless and who cares? There's no reason to keep doing this. A cruelly bitter edge to his wits and tongue. He jested all too often about the futility of our quest and to any encouraging remark he reposted with savage sarcasm. By the end of the second day, he reminded me of nothing so much as an ill-mannered child. He heeded no one's rebukes, not even Ketrickin's. Nor did he recall that silence could be a virtue. Fitz continues down on this description and like kind of ends it like, I think everyone would kind of wanted to strangle him. Yeah, by <laughs> after, the end of the second day. Yeah. So this is heavily dosing the fool and very, very wicked... <laughs> humor coming yes. out and keeping everybody's spirits down and keeping everybody irritated and not a good recipe but right. necessary it, yeah they want to protect the fool as best they know how and they're trying but it definitely is leading to the perfect storm to make the following chapter possible this chapter possible yeah it's setting up the precedent that the fool is annoying and mean and Playing tricks and doing stunts and stuff, but yeah. like 
not caring about the results. Yes. <laughs> how that affects other people. And that would be, I mean, to be fair, it would be really frustrating to travel with somebody like that, especially when morale is already pretty low and you're hungry. Ooh, I'm not very nice when I'm hungry. I don't think I could stand the fool being mean to me while I'm hungry. <laughs> Weather improved a bit as they continue to travel. Days are continuing to pass and Fitz and Night Eyes are still hunting. Kettle refuses to have Fitz alone. Uh, especially alone with the fool or alone just by himself with the wolf. But he does take the time to hunt quite often. Ketrickin goes with him and Fitz kind of needs that because he's afraid to sleep at this point. Right. And Kettle is afraid to let him sleep. Yes. Just we're back into the sleep deprived Fitz stage where he's just traveling every day and not getting much rest. Right. And is scared. I mean, this is a scary time where they know that they could be mentally attacked. Well, he could be mentally attacked at any moment. And Kettle is kind of almost seemingly going overboard on protection. She has taken it upon himself to or upon herself to take over Fitz's mind and make sure that he is staying on task. She's giving him more puzzles. She's making Starling stay up to do watches with him and make him recite all of her songs that mm-hmm. she knows and learn and recite. And he can't be around the fool one-on-one anymore. He is just being worn down. It, it is a tiresome time. Not allowed to speak of Verity or the Coterie or anything that might touch upon them. So very, very directed in conversations. Right. Unable to think about anything else besides the game and herbs and songs. Yes. And even when he does finally get to sleep for the little time he gets to sleep, Kettle stays awake watching over him with a strong brewing of elf bark going so that if he wakes up with the coterie seizing his mind, they can pour it down his throat to get rid of his skill power to hope that that helps protect him. So I doubt that the sleep is very restful (laughs) whenever he is asleep. Fitz does remark that there is no more slippery task than to refrain from thinking of something. And he goes on to explain that in the middle of busy work, these intrusive thoughts would pop up like a flower, a fragrance of a flower on the side would remind him of Molly or, you know, Verity would pop into his mind and all these different things that he's supposed to stay away from because it's incredibly hard to train your mind not to think of something. Right. He's like, oh, I can't think of this. And then you're thinking of it. Right. No, I also kind of found it a little bit humorous that he said that the fool made him think of shrewd because shrewd had tolerance for his jests. (laughs) And then he thought about how King Shrewd died and it was all over again. It's Mm -hmm. just a lot of, Things happening that are like, oh, that makes me think of my whole life. Oh, no, can't think about that because it's like nothing. He can think about nothing that has to do with himself. So and he even expresses that he has regret or guilt over not being able to commiserate and comfort Ketrikin during this time because she can't talk to him about Verity anymore. Yeah, he can't have he can't be in that conversation. So he just has to watch her. Get more and more anxious. Yeah, get more and more anxious by herself. Yeah, which would be really hard. You know a friend is suffering and you can't help, especially for Fitz because he likes helping his friends. But as they go on, 
the countryside is changing. Mm -hmm. They're deeper and deeper into a valley. And their road, after a time, parallels a milky gray river, which I wanted to point out because this sounds an awful lot like the way the river is described in the Rainwilds. Yeah. So potentially this is, this is the acid slash skill water. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. Which I found very cool. A little mm -hmm. mention. <laughs> yeah, they're climbing down off the mountain. So the weather's getting a little bit better. They're going down in altitude a little bit more into the valley, he says. But I'm pretty sure it's just downhill right. <laughs> off the mountains. <laughs> and eventually they become they come to a large bridge. Yeah, this one kind of shocked me because I don't know if this bridge is ever talked about again. I don't think so. But it's really strange. So it's this really tall bridge in the middle of nowhere that is high just for the sake of it, it seems. Mm -hmm. When we had first glimpsed it from a distance, the spiderweb delicacy of its span reminded me of bones, and I feared that we would find it reduced to splintered fragments of reaching timbers. Instead, we crossed on a creation that arced over the river needlessly high, as if in joy that it could. The road we crossed on shone black and shining, while the archwork that graced above and below the span was a powdery gray. I could not identify what it was wrought from, whether true metal or strange stone, for it had more the look of a spun thread than hammered metal or chiseled rock. The elegance and grace of it stilled even the fool for a time. Do you think this is like some form of concrete? I was trying to think of that, but bridges that are concrete are much more sturdy than what he's describing. This one is like all graceful and, you know, twisted and small strands that are woven together. It just seems not quite like concrete to me. Well, I was thinking if it was concrete, it could just be a casting of... Yeah. delicate like it could look more delicate than it actually is true because i true. feel and like there's concrete art and they right. wouldn't have to build for trucks or anything like right. that <laughs> but i i don't know it's just something in the description makes me it, i immediately thought of like oh this is asphalt and concrete yeah. like a black shining road but i'm not sure i feel like i'm going to tend towards this is advanced construction material from the elderlings fair and not say it was human like our, our present day human materials right. that's fair i'm just gonna say as a fantasy construction probably wrought <laughs> with some sort of silver yeah i also do want to say that the fact that it is so high up could point to the fact that there was a bigger river maybe before. i think so yeah I, I definitely think that erosion here yeah was like carving it down because the elderlings have been gone for at least a thousand years, right? Right. So, so that's enough time for a once high river to go down a bit. And also the cataclysm that made them disappear. Right. Could, could have been. shifted, you know, the water tables and, and where the rivers are flowing and everything like that. So right. I feel like, yes, it is needlessly high now, but it might have been good before. Yeah. But anyway, I just thought, I thought this was really weird that we stop and spend so, so much time on this bridge and then never really talk about it again it's not really to be fair it is one paragraph but like in a robin hobb book that's so much time it could be it could have been a sentence a one-off sentence and it was its own paragraph i don't know i think Feels... it adds to the ambiance the atmosphere true. like we're still in the land of like strange creations Whimsy, yeah. and yeah so interesting but anyway i just wanted to point that out because it does it does sound like a cool bridge but also 
I just want to know why. Why'd they build it? <laughs> There's a lot of descriptions going on here about the road clinging to cliff sides or like something had cleaved it off. And I'm pretty sure that's right. just from the cataclysm. Mm-hmm. But the road has stayed intact mostly here. And it's just winding down hillsides. They climb up a little bit and then start another descent pretty much immediately. And it's winding down further and further into the valley itself. They get down to the near the bottom and Fitz can see it's like full of greenery and clouds, seemingly. And he it confuses him because when he gets down to the bottom, he finally realizes that there are warm streams running throughout here. They get to a place where there are hot springs. Yes, natural hot springs. Yep, so that helps the cold mountain start to <laughs> blossom a little bit more. Even though the weather has been getting better as further they go down, it's probably still not as green as this area is because this is going to be the same as like the out island island that we go to, the mother house of the narwhal, because yes. they have hot springs there and are able to grow stuff. So they make camp down there after commenting on the smell of all these pools. Yes. Because it's sulfur ponds. I've I've been to Yellowstone before, Yellowstone National Park. I've been around hot springs. They smell terrible, like <laughs> rotten eggs and everything like that. And Fitz remarks like, oh, it's not any different really than Jean Pay's hot springs. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Also, a little bit lucky for them that they found hot springs that are viable to humans right yeah yeah because i know some of them can range in heat from like boiling your skin off level to like (laughs) just tepid tap water you know like (laughs) i feel like even tepid tap water they would dive into right yeah no definitely water (laughs) but yeah this is definitely interesting it also does make comment that the pools these hot spring pools are bubbling up over the road and it seems like some well-intentioned engineer that is long gone had made little rivets for them to like avoid the road but now there must be more water or they weren't taken care of because nobody's there to think about it anymore so it is the water is on the road at some points Mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting yeah, there was an actual, you know, ornately carved mm-hmm. kind of paths for it. But over time, not yeah. upkept. And I do wonder if that means that this area was like, I, I'm thinking like Japan, how they are like, there's an area in Japan known for their hot springs and that like people mm-hmm. go there. And so I'm wondering if this is like akin to that where people possibly, like, you know, did hot spring stuff and they're like, good, like stopping place for travelers. Here's our know? spa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a mud bath right over here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if they have several pools that are for human, like Mm -hmm. safe for humans to get into. They camp early around these pools and they're able to take baths, scrub their clothes and relax. Right. The only one not partaking is the fool who refuses because of the smell and night eyes because he is a wolf and has no need for baths. (laughs) Yeah, Night Eyes came to sit on the bank and watch me in puzzlement, his tail tucked neatly around his feet. It feels good, I told him needlessly, for I knew he could sense my pleasure. It must have something to do with your lack of fur, he decided at last. Come in and I'll scrub you off. It would help you shed off your winter undercoat, I offered him. He gave a disdainful sniff. 
I think I'd prefer to scratch it off a bit at a time. Well, you needn't sit there and watch me and be bored. Go hunting if you wish. I would, but the high bitch has asked me to watch you, so I shall. Ketrickin? So you name her. How, asked you? He gave me a puzzled glance. As you would. She looked at me and I knew her mind. She worried that you were alone. Does she know you hear her? Does she hear you? Almost, at times. He lay down abruptly on the sward and stretched, curling his pink tongue. Perhaps when your mate bids you set me aside, I shall bond to her. Not funny. So we got a little communication from Night Eyes. First, he won't take a bath because <laughs> he has fur. Also, beneath him. I like to imagine he also doesn't want to be stinky because <laughs> I'm sure the sulfur smell is stronger to him. True. But yeah, he has a little com- communication with Ketrakin. Ketrakin has all obviously been expanding her wit sense recently on this trip. Yes. And Night Eyes has been working with her and kind of encouraging that and telling her things throughout the whole trip. And it's kind of working where she can kind of let him know. At least she has a thought and it night eyes can pick up on it. Hear it. Yeah. I think this is really interesting because I wonder if this points to the fact that witted abilities also need to be used to grow like the skill where yeah, possibly some people are naturally better at it than others, but the more mm-hmm. you use it, the better you get. And so I wonder if that's the same for witted people. And I think, typic- it's, I think it's typical for pretty much almost every skill, to be honest. But right. <laughs> in terms of like strength and use, yeah, I would say it would track a little bit. But be consistent. I, right. Well, it's not really talked about at all. And mm-hmm. I wonder if part of yeah. that is because animals typically aren't in a position where they have the time or patience to make a human hear and understand them. Yeah. Whereas Night Eyes is scared about the future. And so he's like, I need another whip partner stat. (laughs) And also this is Pac. So I'm just going to communicate with you. Right. And she's the closest that can kind of feel me. And he approves of her because she's a hunter. Right. So I wonder if it's a little bit that too is like, there just hasn't been a need to try to train slightly witted people. Yeah. That could definitely be true. I don't know. Fitz kind of takes a nap here, falls asleep, and he wakes up with the fool standing over him. He starts awake, and Night Eyes also starts awake, and Fitz kind of rebukes him, saying, hey, what, a, what a good guard dog you are. Yeah, some guardian, I observed to the fool. He has no scent and walks lighter than falling snow, the wolf complained. <laughs> and the fool is there, which, to be fair, would be a little startling, because <laughs> he's just staring at Fitz. He didn't say anything, but he does now. And he says, he's always with you. Isn't he about night eyes, which I feel like this could be my bias because I'm a rereader. I feel like right off the bat, something's weird. Yeah. I throughout this whole conversation as rereaders, you can tell this is not the fool that we know because he doesn't have the same basis of knowledge or the same way of speaking. There's just something off on it. And I think Robin Hobb does a fantastic job of putting that in here. Yeah. There's small little details of like, okay, that's, that's weird. not how he would react. But the first time through, I had no idea until it was done. I feel like the first time through, I thought something was weird, but I wasn't sure. Because, I th- yeah, I Fitz- thought it was just a because of the whole first elf bark is making him weird and dour. Right. I thought it was kind of just a reaction to that. But. That's fair. I think 
The only thing that put me off of like, maybe it's the coterie is that Fitz's internal dialogue this whole time is like, nothing's wrong. This is just fit. This Mm -hmm. is the fool and like, whatever. And so that was the only thing where I'm like, well, Fitz isn't even a little bit nervous. So maybe I'm crazy, but something feels wrong. I remember specifically thinking, but I couldn't tell what exactly. Yeah, I think when it gets to the end where he keeps pressing about where Molly is, like, then you're like, alarms are going off. You're like, this well, feels bad, but it seems fine. Whenever he puts <laughs> his hand to his mouth and is like crying, I'm yeah. like, clearly something is wrong. <laughs> like, this is not normal fool behavior. <laughs> but anyway, we're yeah, getting we'll, a little we'll ahead of ourselves. Start to the start at the beginning here. So the fool shows up and asks, "He is always with you, isn't he?" One way or another, I agreed. And the fool's just kind of standing there. So Fitz asks, "Is something wrong?" He made an inconclusive gesture and then sat down awkwardly on the bank. I've been thinking about your candle maker girl, he said suddenly, which is a weird way to reference Molly. Yes, I literally underlined it and wrote, when has he ever called her that? Mm -hmm. Have you? I asked quietly. I've been doing my best not to. He thought about this for a bit. If you die, what will become of her? So there's a lot of, I, I want to pause, I'll keep going, but I want to pause there real quick and just... There's a lot of sections in here where he stops to think but before talking. And I think it's one, either rifling through the fool's memories to try to get a good response or two, getting direction from Will or like the other Coterie members to try to get a response to to keep talking. I don't even know if it's looking through the memories. I feel like. It's just trying to figure out, like, they're all, I can imagine them all arguing with each other over, no, say this, no, say this. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I I guess I never thought that they could be rifling through the memories, but that does make sense. Yeah, it's just one of two two things there. Yeah, so he asks about Molly and asks, what will become of her if you die, Fitz? Fitz is kind of rolling over and expecting this to be mockery, but the fool looks pretty serious. So Fitz answers him in kind and says, Birik will take care of her for as long as she needs help. She's a capable woman, fool. After a moment's consideration, I added, she took care of herself for years before. Fool, I've never really taken care of her. I was near her, but she always stood on her own. I felt both shamed and proud as I said that. Shamed that I had given her so little besides trouble and proud that such a woman had cared for me. So I think... This whole seriousness from the fool is a little weird. We have seen the fool be serious before, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've ever seen him talk about death, at least in this capacity. No, yeah, never, never too much about the future besides like, hey, we're going to do this. Also, know? it kind of feels like not that the fool doesn't care, but that he doesn't care what happens to the people around Fitz in capacity of after he's done being a catalyst. Right. There's no like... I don't think before we've ever seen him like, do you need me to take word to somebody? Yeah. He has done things like that for Fitz when it is needed to help Fitz. But I can't imagine him caring about what happens to the people that knew Fitz after Fitz dies any more than like the people that he actually knew in that sort of caring capacity. Right. Yeah. Like, I just I feel like that too is something that's out of character which i didn't realize until this read or this read through i don't think that's like a normal thing to pick up on but as we're sitting here deep reading it i'm like hey 
It's a little strange that he's talking about death. But also easily, easily brushed past because of the elf bark. Right, right. The fool presses a little bit, says, but would you at least want me to take word to her? You know? Yeah. Would you not? <laughs> and he shakes his head, says, she believes me dead. They both do. In fact, if I die, I'd just as soon as let her believe I died in Regal's dungeons. No, if something happens to me, I wish no tales told her. He doesn't want her to grieve again. You know, right. get that like, oh, he was alive, but now he's dead. <laughs> Which we've gone through before those feelings, and he's had that conversation in his head. He's made up his mind at this point saying she doesn't need to know. But here we also get that it's not only that he doesn't want her to grieve a second time, it's that he doesn't want to disappoint her yeah. to know that he picked his king over her mm -hmm. again. Right. That even after death, he did it again and died. <laughs> Still, when all of this is done and gone, I should like to see her again, the fool observed. I opened my eyes. You? I did not know that you had even spoken to one another. The fool seemed a bit taken aback at this. But that is, I meant for your sake, to see for myself that she is well provided for. And again... Ding, 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 ding. Fitz, yep. something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think the fool has spoken to Molly. No. Knows about Molly. Has seen her, maybe spoken a couple words because of Birik's room, you know. Right. They kind of hung out, I think, once. Also, they <laughs> both roamed the castle. Like, she was right. a servant, so I'm sure he wasn't, like, mean to her. But the fool is taken aback by Fitz's response, not saying like, oh, we've passed each other. And, you know, yeah, like, like he would normally have some quip. It's quickly changed meaning there should ring a bell, ring bells. But this is the first time Fitz has had to relax in a while, too. The fool has been acting weird for the past. Who knows how many days, probably week or so. Also, Fitz is sleep deprived, sleep deprived and I, I do want to stress this. Again, this is Robin Hobb's time passage thing. Multiple, multiple days have passed. Yes. They have traveled off of a mountain down into warmer weather. This is like at least a week. They right. talk about days a couple times, mm -hmm. like days plural traveling a couple times in this. So yeah. the fool has been acting strange and bleak for a long time. So, I mean, I'm giving Fitz leeway here, but as rereaders, we're just like, no, no. This is the coterie. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> I know. Well, I think I think part of it is like, you know, you know, Fitz, that the coterie wants to know where Molly is because they don't know. Mm -hmm. You have a child and that is a threat to Regal. Nobody can know. How many times has Chade told you that secrets are better kept when nobody knows them? <laughs> and yet... He's like, well, you know, let, let's let this conversation play out. Let's mm -hmm. talk to the fool, which, again, he, this is somebody that he loves and cares about and trusts. There's no reason for him not. But I can't help but thinking, bro, literally this whole time you've been told the the coterie is coming after you and your child. Beware. Like, and this is <sighs> also like the first time that the fool has probably talking to him seriously in that week without right. any quips or negativity or mm -hmm. like, I don't know. It just, there are definitely subtle red flags that I am picking up on as a rereader that I'm going to mention because 
I would be remiss not to, that I don't think are fair on on fits to pick up. But they're interesting things to pick up on and talk about. But also, there are bigger red flags that he 100% normally should be able to pick up on. And again, we have to give him leeway because circumstances are perfect for this to go awry. But like... Something, nothing. It's fairly typical of him. And we've talked about this before when he gets any when he gets away from court life, from actually having a assassin or spy based mission. He loses a lot of those skills and has to refresh himself on them. He has let his guard down over this past year. Well, I guess past couple months traveling in this coterie, this pack, as Night Eyes calls it. And these things of like hey, the fool has been dosed for a week. He usually has very mean things to say, and he's not saying mean things now. Maybe his elf bark dosage is running out. That leaves him a little vulnerable, you know? Yeah. Something like that, I feel like Fitz would have recognized when he was in Buckkeep, when he was sharp. And also the other social cues, of course, like not knowing certain things. But just... Yeah, I I totally agree with you. There are some things definitely easy to pass up on. Definitely he's not in his top, tip-top shape ever or mental capacity because he's been mentally and physically exhausted for the past, you know, few weeks. (laughs) Several months. (laughs) And scared out of his life. Right. But still, like, it's just so frustrating to read from an outsider's perspective because there's no alarms raised. And also, like... You literally aren't supposed to be alone with him and you haven't for a week because he might be taken over by the coterie. And that doesn't once come into your noggin fit. Oh, (laughs) I am so mad at him for not uh, all of it. Anyway, I don't know what to say. I told him, say nothing then. Tell me only where I may find her. He suggested with a smile. (sighs) I don't precisely know that myself. Chade knows if... If I do not live through what we must do, ask it of him. It felt unlucky to speak of my own death, so I added, Of course, we both know we shall survive. It is foretold, is it not? He gave me an odd look. By whom? My heart sank. By some white prophet or other, I had hoped, I muttered. Is it foretold that the catalyst lives? He appeared to be thinking hard. He suddenly observed, Chade leads a dangerous life. There is no assurance that he will survive either. And if he does not, well, surely you must have some idea where the girl is. Will not you tell me? So once again, the fool breaks off from any conversation and tries to push where Molly is. Right. And because the fool is not the one directing these words, but Fitz thinks he is, that non-answer in Fitz's mind confirms that he's going to die. Right. Also, ugh, this this one specifically made me the most mad on this reread because it's like he seems distracted and isn't really paying attention and then goes back to wanting to know where Molly is. Huh. Must be because I'm going to die. Not because somebody's controlling his mind and doesn't know he's a white prophet. <laughs> what? Are yeah. you kidding me? The coder just thinks he is a freak. So when something is foretold or brought up to them, they're like, what? Yeah. He was confused and then doesn't focus on it. I'm so like, when has the fool ever passed up a chance to talk about his visions or that he's the white prophet? Well, he doesn't like to talk about it too much, but in the, the late, you know, late couple months. 
You're and correct. Since they've been <laughs> traveling together, he's like, yeah, I'm a prophet and everything's going great. Like, uh, I don't know. It just like, come on, Fitz. And I know that sometimes the fool doesn't answer questions and or whatever. He's ambiguous in what his meanings are. But like, there's no riddles in this. He's not mm-hmm. saying a riddle. He's not like, figure it out for yourself. Like, he, he is kind of evasive, though, which Fitz could be used to by true. and like answering a question with another question or talking about somebody else, you know? Right. But I feel like usually it has something to do with what they're talking about in that moment. Not like, well, let me just circle back to what I said before and um, just get the answer again, please. It just, I don't know. It makes me mad that (laughs) this can't be stopped. And obviously it's a great writing that I'm this frustrated, (laughs) but come on Fitz. (laughs) That he had not answered my question seemed suddenly answer enough. The catalyst did not survive. It was like being hit by a wave of cold salt water. I felt tumbled in that cold knowledge, drowning in it. I'd never hold my daughter, never feel Molly's warmth again. It was almost a physical pain, and it dizzied me. Fitz chivalry? The fool pressed me. He asked a hand to... He lifted a hand to suddenly cover his mouth tightly, as if he could speak no more. His other hand rose to grip his wrist suddenly. He looked sickened. Again, clearly something's wrong. But also, when has a fi- when has a fool ever called Fitz Fitz chivalry? Not very often. And also, he lifted a hand to suddenly cover his mouth tightly as if he could speak no more. His other hand rose to grip his wrist suddenly. He looked sickened. These are kind of details that I usually gloss past in other rereads, but yeah. like deep diving and like reading all these sentences is horrifying. The yeah. fool at this point kind of understands where it's going and what is happening to him even though after this whole thing he doesn't remember that he thinks it's a dream later at this particular moment he's trying to cover his mouth to prevent himself from speaking more to get the answers out of fits and the coterie controls his other hand to pull that hand down Mm -hmm. which to be fair this is going towards my theory that if you're skilled you can control other people you know like when Fitz was dead, mm, yeah. <laughs> Verity going in and doing something. I don't know. Just saying. I mean, we've seen that in the past, too, with Fitz yes. going into the fool and reviving him. Well, that's he, not the past. <laughs> yes. Sorry. We've talked about that scene. Yes. In the past. Coming up in, you know, four books. But, uh, or six books, I guess. Because it's the end of Tawny Man. Where he like moves the blood throughout his body and tries to, yes. you know, heal I'm, him a little bit. Yeah. So skilled ones do have that ability to like control parts of the body. But yeah, definitely trying to stop himself from speaking, but is unable to. And the coterie still has control of his mind. It's all right, I said faintly. Perhaps it's better that I know what is to come. I sighed and racked my brain. I've heard them speak of a village. Beric goes there to buy things. It cannot be far. You could start there. The fool gave a tiny nod of encouragement to me. Tears stood in his eyes. Capelin Beach, I said quietly. 
A moment longer, he sat staring at me. Then he suddenly toppled over sideways. So, the Coterie accidentally stumbled into the only way to get Fitz to say the answer. They didn't even know right what they did they just did it on accident convinced him he was gonna die so he had to have somebody go check on them yes and they didn't even know they were doing it and so like it's even worse that it worked out for them but this whole it's it's really artfully done because you can see from fitz's perspective that maybe the fool is crying because he doesn't want to think about my death right like I don't want to talk about this anymore because it's your death and I'm so sad. And Fitz is like, oh, boy, I guess I got to tell you then. Right. Like I'm dying. It just. It's so well done and yet so frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) And the fool topples over sideways and. In Fitz's eyes, he's passed out, mimed, miming, passing out. And. Fitz can't believe that he could go from something so serious to playing a joke or a prank because when Fitz goes over and tries to wake him up, the fool kind of waves his arm as if he was disturbing his sleep. It irritates Fitz. He says beyond words that he could go so abruptly from serious words to some kind of knavery, yet it was typical of his behavior over the past few days. There was suddenly no relaxation or peace left in the hot water. And so he just leaves. Gathers his uh, clothes and leaves. Night Eyes is confused, asks if it's a game, and Fitz says, not one that I enjoy. This is, again, like, at no point is Fitz like, well, it's kind of weird that it's he's it's going on for so long. Like, and there's no punchline to this joke. He's just pretending to be asleep. That's weird. No, it's just like, oh, well, that's typical fool, and then walking away. It. I mean, <sighs> it's not even that he passed out, though, because... He says, he made a vague motion as if I disturbed his dreaming. So, to Fitz's eyes, this guy said, like, yeah, you're going to die. Okay, this is the place I can go. Falls over on his side, mimes that he's sleeping, and kind of waves him off as as he goes to, like, check on him. In what world does that make sense of something to, even though it's a fool, I know that the fool is, like, a court jester and that, like, whatever, but, like, what is the punchline then? What is the joke? The, there, that's that's I think the point and the setup that we had talked about previously that you had mentioned actually. Yeah. That the elf bark sets this expectation up for him that there is no punchline, there is no joke because that's how he has been yeah. over the past few days. I just ugh. perfect storm, perfect storm <laughs> coming together. And I hate it. It's I just. I guess because we don't see every single instance of the fool acting this way. I want to see how bad he's been over the past few days. This makes sense in any (laughs) world where it's like, well, it doesn't make sense as a punchline, but it's mean. So definitely is the punchline. What? Okay. Like, also, how long is he letting the punchline hang? Because, like, not a very good, like, what? He's just like going to pretend to be passed out for the like five minutes it takes for you to leave and then not get up after you. I don't, (sighs) I have so many issues. And I guess, like you said, the expectation is that he's being weird. He's being mean. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. I just, (sighs) (laughs) Fitz gathers his things, goes back to camp. He sees Ketrakin, Starling and Kettle kind of rummaging around. Starling at the moment is combing through her hair and asks about the fool 
And Fitz says, no, he didn't have fresh water. I left him down where I was. You know, he's fine, whatever. And he kind of sits and stares at Starling as she's coming through her hair. And Fitz, well, Starling makes a remark and Fitz turns away embarrassed. They have a cute little interaction of like, ah, he can still blush and here, borrow my comb. Well, let me do it, actually. And she combs his hair and apparently it's a huge mess. There's a bunch of snarls in there because I'm sure he hasn't combed it for a few months. <laughs> um. Yes. Also, curly hair gets really tangled when wet yes. anyway, so it's rough. But I did enjoy the detail that with the final tug, she puts a hand on his scalp right above the hair that's giving problems and then yanks because that is how you should be combing your hair and also good when you have knots in your hair because it does it keeps your scalp intact it doesn't right. rip on the scalp it rips on the hair itself um that is a real tactic that i use as someone with curly hair that tangles so i was like <laughs> wow what a good detail like <laughs> realistic <laughs> while she's doing that starling makes a mention that it's so fine that's the problem i never met a buckman with hair so fine and Fitz can't help but think on Molly there because that's very similar to what she had said, you know, so long ago on the beach. And he's reminiscing about the good old days. And it's heart jerking for him because at this point he's just dwelling on I'm going to die. I'm never going to see her again. Also, he makes note that it's hard to think of that memory because it reminds him that so many of his memories with Molly, like they like so many of his memories with Molly, they start out really good and then end with them fighting. Mm -hmm. And so it's like even harder to think about because there yeah. are very few memories he has of them just being happy together, mm -hmm. which is probably a pretty good sign that it was a very healthy relationship. But that's another story. <laughs> well, we've talked about that already. Yes. Ad nauseum. They're better for each other later. <laughs> so Fitz says that he's going to go hunting. Kettle's asking if there's any meat. And he hauls himself to his feet. Kettle tells Night Eyes to watch him. And they, uh, they go off. I guess I should say that at the beginning of this chapter, we had like Fitz and the wolf can't go alone anywhere. And there's like this strictness happening. And here we see that not just with the fool being able to come to Fitz and it not be weird that they're alone. There's no panic. Kettle is allowing Fitz to go off on his own with mm -hmm. just night eyes. So maybe over the past few days, even Kettle has settled down in a, yeah. the amount of alarm. Possibly. Possibly also that this place has let down their guard a little bit. A place right. of rest, having baths, you know. Being comfortable relaxing. for once. Yeah. I could see both ways, to be honest. They do get a, a kid of some sort, a like baby goat. Um, not quite exactly what he's used to, but similar enough where he calls it a kid. And they bring it back and it's enough meat for, for the group. So they're happy with themselves, pleased with themselves. And as they're going back to camp... Kettle kind of confronts them and say, hey, do you have any more elf bark? It's like, no, I gave you all that I had. You know, have we run out? The way it makes the fool behave, I'd almost welcome that news. She gave me an odd look. Did you quarrel, she demanded? Did you strike him? What? Of course not. We found him by the pool where you bathed, she said quietly, twitching in his sleep like a dreaming dog. I woke him, but even awake he seemed vague. 
We brought him back here, but he only sought his blankets. Since then, he has been sleeping like a dead thing. I want to point out that this is how Fitz was whenever he was first on the skill road and went to sleep. He was, first of all, vague, but also, like, kept kind of sleeping. And it's, like, mm -hmm. clear signs to me as a rereader that something skill involved is happening. And yet even Kettle, no sort of worry. Because he has not skilled himself. And they've been keeping him dosed with elf bark. So he should be fine. <sighs> just, <laughs> come on, Kettle. She says that he revived for a bit, but only for a bit. He'll drop off to sleep again very quickly. He behaves like a man recovering from exhaustion or a very long illness. I fear for him. Fitz kind of rushes into the tent to see how he's doing and look after him. Kettle was saying that I've given him almost all the elf bark. If I give him what's left now, we have no reserves if the Coterie tries to attack him. And Fitz chimes in with something that he has learned the hard way and through arguments with Chade and Burek and says, why don't we simply let him sleep? Even with potent drugs, one can only trick the body so long and then it makes its demands known. I highlighted that because that is something that Fitz had to learn and still does not take to heart. Yes. But he does apply it on other people. <laughs> <laughs> he knows it's the truth. He just does not take that advice himself. Yes. And so they they let him sleep it off. Mm -hmm. um, it is also noted that Fitz is still kind of irritated with the fool. He was worried when he heard that the fool was tired and came to a side. But it does say that he's warring. The relief is warring with his irritation. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is also kind of why he's like, well, let's just let him sleep. Yeah. Because he's kind of mad at the fool. He doesn't really want to think about what's wrong because he's still mad at him, which is super realistic. Sometimes people you love make you mad and you're like, well, you're alive and breathing. So <laughs> I'm going to just get some space. Kettle, though, it is good to note that Kettle is more concerned yes. than... She has time for it because Fitz does interrupt and kind of say, hey, we'll just let him sleep. She says, you know, that is true. Kettle agreed reluctantly, but this is so unlike him. And when they when Fitz says, oh, he's been unlike himself ever since the elf bark. She says, well, perhaps there is something to what you say. We will let him sleep then. Kettle conceded. She took a breath as if to say more, but did not. So I feel like she's kind of holding herself back like it could be this. Right. You know, it. It could be. I gotta but, watch for it. Yes. But she doesn't know for sure. She doesn't know what happened between Fitz and the Fool. Anything like that, all that context is gone. So, like, she's erring on the side of caution. Like, okay, let's just let him sleep, I guess. Right. And this is another frustrating thing is that Kettle refuses to talk. She will not right. give any information for free. This yeah. is not a, I'm going to voice my opinions to tell you why I'm worried. This is a, if you ask the right questions, maybe I'll tell you what I'm kind of thinking right which is also very annoying yeah. and not helpful and rude mm -hmm. <laughs> like you're with this group and you want to survive till the end a baby's life is at risk just talk but old habits die hard so mm -hmm. and she's dealing with her own trauma yes there are other things at play it just oh everything that could go wrong is going wrong and it's oh, i hate re a vegan rereader in this chapter <laughs> Fitz goes outside to clean up the kid and, and start it roasting on the fire. 
and not before giving a generous chunk over to Night Eyes, <laughs> who was concerned about that. And while he's doing so, Starling approaches him and asks, Are you so angry with the fool? What? I glanced over my shoulder at her. In the time we have traveled together, I have come to see how you are with one another, closer than brothers. I would have expected you to sit beside him and fret, as you did when he was ill. Yet you behave as if nothing is wrong with him at all. Minstrels perhaps see too clearly. Earlier today, he came to me and we talked about what he would do for Molly if I did not live to return to her. I looked at Starling and shook my head. When my throat went tight, it surprised me. He does not expect me to survive, and when a prophet says such a thing, it is hard to believe otherwise. The look of dismay on her face was not comforting. It gave the lie to her words when she insisted, Prophets are not always right. Did he say for certain that he had seen your death? When I asked him, he would not answer, I replied. And Starling gets angry because she says the fool should not have even brought up such a topic. He should be trying to keep, you know, the whole morale up. Right. And your heart up. How, how does he expect Fitz to accomplish his task now if he expects to die? Right. And Fitz kind of defends him a little bit. I mean, he feels the same way, <laughs> obviously, right. but he also kind of says... The tidings are scarcely his doing, and I cannot fault his intent, yet it is hard to face one's death, not as a thing that will happen someday, somewhere, but as something that will likely occur before this summer loses its green. I lifted my head and looked around the verdant wild meadow that surrounded us. Yeah, so I think I think we get a little bit more of Starling's personality she is very quick to anger, I think. <laughs> Maybe not, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say, but she sees the problems and things, and instead of trying to, like, stay on the more hopeful side, she's like, oh, I gotta complain about this. <laughs> Which, you know what? Fair, same. Um, but <laughs> but we also see that that there is something rifted between the fool and Fitz right now. Oh, yeah. 100%. Thank it was a hurtful thing that the fool said, even if it wasn't the fool. Right. And I'm sure tensions have been high between them anyway, just because of how the fool has supposedly been acting this whole time. But yeah, now that Fitz is thinking about it, he's like, yeah, it is really hard to keep going when you know death is pretty close. Mm -hmm. And then he thinks about it and he's looking around and he's, observing he's just living in the now truly yeah. and seeing how beautiful everything is around him and he thinks about how the sounds and the smells and the colors are all beautiful and how many days like this did he waste on a horseback thinking only of the bar he needed to get to to get to a friend or just all these times when he was in a similar area or place and time and he didn't just appreciate it which I think is a really fair thing to bring up that like a lot of times it's hard to think about the now and to appreciate this moment, even if things are bad, like it's not so bad because this is nice. This area, the scenery, this is mm -hmm. smelling the roses. Yeah. And he thinks back on what the fool had told him back in Buckkeep. He'd warned me that I should live each day as if it were significant as if every day the fate of the world depended on my actions. 
Now I suddenly grasped what he had been trying to tell me. Now when the days left to me had dwindled to where I might count them. Starling put her hands on my shoulders. She leaned down and put her cheek against mine. Fitz, I am so sorry, she said quietly. I scarcely heard her words, only her belief in my death. I stared at the meat cooking over the flames. It had been a live kid. Death is always at the edge of now, Nidaiza's thought was gentle. Death stalks us, and he is ever sure of his kill. It is not a thing to dwell on, but it is something we all know, in our guts and bones, all save humans. With shock, I beheld what the fool had been trying to teach me about time. I suddenly wished to go back, to have again each separate day to spend. Time. I was trapped in it, fenced into a tiny piece of now that was the only time I could influence. All the soons and tomorrows I might plan were ghost things that might be snatched from me at any moment. Intentions were nothing. Now was all I had. I suddenly stood up. So he has a little epiphany about, you know, appreciating his moments, and he's he's planning now for the future. He's reflecting again on what not fool said that yes. he would die, and taking his previous warnings about living your life significantly each day, and the knowledge that he might die, and the fool asking of, you know, who should I visit when you potentially die, and where is this? As okay, I have to make provisions for people. I have to let some people know in my life that I was thinking of them and that I did die, uh, die clean, you know, that I, right. That I was doing something not, you know, not becoming wild. I think he, he tells the fool later to go to Beric, you know, not living it as a beast. I was a King's man at the end. Right. And I think it's so sad that Fitz is only able to grasp how important time is whenever he thinks death is inevitable and soon. I think it's realistic as well, though. True. It, but it's just so hard that, like, he never had any gumption or n felt any need to take control of the now. It was always like, well, maybe someday I'll do it. <laughs> and then now that he's faced with death, he's like, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. But it also is crazy to think about how the seed has been planted in his mind because the fool had told him to live every day like he's influencing the future because he is. And the fool had no idea what that would do to Fitz in getting him to trust the words or to, right. you know, like he was just telling him, like, you're the catalyst. Everything you do right. matters. And Fitz is like, oh, there's this profound meaning. It's because I was going to die soon. And like, could have had a double meeting. It's the fool after all. Right. But like, <laughs> he's telling me to live life to the fullest. And fool is just like, no, just like <laughs> take a care. But I don't know. It just fits being fits, I mm -hmm. guess. With that epiphany that, he can't be afraid of his tomorrows or live in fear. He has to live in the now. He rushes to the fool again and wants to speak to him alone. He wakes the fool up, saying that he needs to talk to him. He also sends away Ketrickin and Kettle, who are sitting beside the fool so that he can have some alone time. Yes, yeah, he wants to speak to him alone. And he wakes the fool up and 
it takes him longer than he thought. So he's finally getting a little bit of that concern from Kettle again there. He's sharing mm-hmm. that concern of like, oh, this is not the simple sleep of a man at a day's end. But finally, he he wakes up and asks Fitz if it's morning. And Fitz is like, no, it, it's evening and there's fresh meat roasting. You know, soon it will be done. I think a good meal will help you. And then he dives into what he's been thinking. I was angry at you earlier for what you told me, but now I think I understand why. You are right. I have been hiding in the future and wasting my days. I took a breath. I want to give Beric's earring over to you, into your keeping. F. Afterward, I'd like you to take it to him and tell him I did not die outside some shepherd's hut, but keeping my oath to my king. That will mean something to him. It may pay him back a bit for all he has done for me. He taught me to be a man. I don't want that left unsaid. I unfastened the catch of the earring and drew it from my ear. I pressed it into the fool's lax hand. He lay on his side, listening in silently. His face was very grave. I shook my head at him. I have nothing to send Molly, nothing for our child. She'll have the pin Shrewd gave me so long ago, but little more than that. I was trying to keep my voice steady, but the importance of my words was choking me. It may be wisest not to tell Molly that I lived past Regal's dungeons, but if that can be managed... Beric would understand the reason for such a secret. She has mourned me as dead once. There is no sense in telling her otherwise. I am glad you will seek her out. Make toys for Nettle. Against my will, tears stung my eyes. The fool sits up here his face full of concern, and he grabs Fitz's shoulders and asks, If you want me to find Molly, you know I will if it comes to that. But why must we think of such things now? What do you fear? I fear my death, but fearing it will not stop it, so I make what provisions I can, as I should have long ago. Promise me. He looked down at the earring in his hand. I promise... Though why you think my chances are better than yours, I do not know. Nor do I know how I will find them, but I will. I felt great relief. I told you earlier. I know only that their cottage is near a village called Capelin Beach. There is more than one Capelin Beach in Buck, that is true. But if you tell me you will find her, I believe you will. Capelin Beach, his eyes went distant. I think I recall. I thought I had dreamed that. He shook his head and almost smiled. So... I am now party to one of the closest held secrets in Buck. Chade told me that not even he knew precisely where Beric had hidden Molly away. So he had only a place he had only a place to leave a message for Beric, so Beric might come to him. The fewer who know a secret, the fewer can tell it, he told me. Yet it seems to me I have heard that name before. Capelin Beach. Or dream, dreamed it, perhaps. So this is another confirmation that the fool was not present during that conversation. Right. Subconsciously, he kind of wanted the coterie to stop talking through him and knew the implications of it. But once he got snapped out of that reverie, once they stopped taking control of him, he lost memory of that because he was not the one in charge. Right. Also, they probably did something to him to be like, it's just a dream. Could definitely be true. But also the fact that Fitz isn't nervous here. He does. His heart goes cold when he says when the fool says 
I feel like I've heard Capelin Beach before. And then the fool says, what do you mean? Have you had a vision of Capelin Beach? So he's not even thinking like, it's weird that he's saying he's never heard this. He's like, oh my God, there's a vision about my ch- my child and my wife. Because yeah. like, he says, or dreamed it perhaps. Right. And Fitz latches onto the dream and the white prophet thing. And it's like, do you have a vision? Are they going to die? You know, what's happening? It's just so weird. Also weird because Fitz really doesn't seem to put much stock in the fool being a white prophet. Like, at least besides this chapter, <laughs> he like on some level, he's like, well, you say you are. and You're my friend, so I believe you. But there's always this like edge of not really believing it mm-hmm. whereas at this chapter he's like well he's the prophet and i'm gonna die because he said so there's no skepticism there and then here when clearly the fool is out of it and is like why would i know where you're where molly is why would i be living and fitz is just like well because you said so and none of that rings an alarm bell not one single moment is he thinking the coterie he's like man Maybe my kid is in a vision. Like, come on. <laughs> he continues on this conversation, though, and with the fool saying, like, oh, I don't even recall going outside, but they found me laying down outside. Fitz does remark, like, I should have known something was more wrong with you. So I think at this point, Fitz is like, maybe he is, like, super, super sick. Doesn't really remember our conversation. So I don't know. Maybe I can excuse him not remembering it right and i should mention we kind of glossed over it but they do talk about how it wasn't that long ago when the fool was sick and so there's a possibility that this is just left over from his sickness up the mountain more so there's also that layer of like oh well maybe he just was sick there but i it just is wild to me there's not even a passing thought of maybe it's the coterie it and even even if he's just like thinking it and then snuffs it out and i wonder if that's more of like a writer's technique to save the trick you know you don't want to give it away definitely could be true because fitz goes through the whole thing like you were by the hot springs speaking to me of molly and things then you suddenly lay down and went to sleep i thought you were mocking me and the fool's like i do not even recall seeking you out he admitted There's no mention of the coterie. There's no mention of like this could be skill or malicious, even though that's the whole point of dosing him. So I feel like it is kind of a trick. It's kind of Robin Hobbs like, hey, this was the betrayal. Right. (laughs) I don't know. Either way, I just I wish somebody had the sense to say something here. Like, come on. Even I guess I feel more sympathetic towards the fool because he was literally had his mind and body taken over and he's really weak right now but like fits come on (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but fool says i did you say that there's meat roasting on the fire Mm -hmm. and so they're done with this conversation that's Mm -hmm. it fits says i don't know if it'll be good but i have some and fool says he is hungry enough to eat old shoes And so they eat, and it's better than old shoes. Definitely. Everyone is sated. The fool goes to bed before everybody else and just passes right out. Kettle lays out her game cloth and sets out another problem for Fitz to think on. And Fitz says he got small rest that night. No sooner had I dozed off than the fool began to twitch and yip in his sleep. 
Even Night Eyes poked his head in the tent door to see what it was about. It took Kettle several tries to rouse him, and when he dozed off again, he slipped right back into his noisy dreams. That time I reached over to shake him, but when I touched his shoulder, awareness of him surged through me. For an instant I shared his night terror. Fool, wake up! I cried out to him, and as if in answer to that command, he sat up. Let go! Let go! he cried desperately. Then looking round and finding that no one held him, he dropped back to his bedding. He says it's gone now, after Fitz asked what he was dreaming. And he takes a shuddering breath, saying, I fear it waits for me. Should I close my eyes? I think I shall see if Ketrickin wants some company. I'd rather be awake than face whatever it was I was facing in my dreams. Fitz watches him leave, but then delves, almost delves with the skill, kind of reaches out with his sense and can sense the skill link between them. Which Night Eyes confirms like, oh, oh, is that what that is? Okay. And Fitz asks, can you feel it too? Only sometimes. It's like what you had with Verity. Only weaker. Weaker? I think not, Night Eyes considered. Not weaker, my brother, but different. Fashioned more like a wit bond than a skill joining. He looked up at the fool as the fool came out of the tent. After a time, the fool frowned to himself and looked down at Night Eyes. You see, said the wolf, he senses me. Not clearly, but he does. Hello, fool. My ears itch. Outside the tent, the fool reached down suddenly to scratch the wolf's ears. Which is kind of cute. Yes. But that whole night terror, obviously, they're doing something to his mind. I don't know if... Do you think they're still attached to him? I feel like they wouldn't give up their tool once they have it. I also feel like they just want to torment the fool. Yeah, could be. It could just be uh, PTSD of a sort from the previous experience and they're not actively doing anything. I don't know. I feel like it doesn't take that much effort to give somebody night terrors from what we've seen. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm just throwing out options because I don't think we get confirmation one way or the other. I don't remember if we do. I think the fact that the fool doesn't remember what he saw when he woke up, which is how it seems to be whenever he is in touch with the skill, is a big indicator to me in my readings that he is being tortured through the skill in his sleep. Yeah. Could be. But I also don't know why they would stop as soon as he woke up. So, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's just... The memories of what happened coming back to haunt him. But there's a little bit of recognition between Fitz and Night Eyes that there's a skill link between him and the fool. Right. And there is that comparison to closer to a wit bond than a skill joining. Right. Which makes sense to me, but again, draws more of those similarities that we've talked about in the past. This is more of like a companionship where... We're getting linked as like a coterie or a pack, as Night Eyes says. Right. Because we've drawn already drawn comparisons between those two things as compared to we are joined by the skill and know each other's minds. This is we're feeling each other. You know, we're we're connected by some sort of force. Right. Interesting thought, anyways. Yes. Yeah, no. And I think there is a difference. I mean, the only other skill link that Fitz has had is with an authority figure in his life and not with someone he considers a peer or a friend. So that could also change the way it works. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. If you have any questions, please reach out via email or DMs in uh, any of our social medias. We're at isfitshappy at gmail.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find any of those links on our uh, website, isfitshappy.com. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah, see you guys soon. So now we're going to talk about some of the things that our listeners have brought to our attention. This week, we're going to start with some emails, uh, first of which is from listener Ale. (laughs) Hopefully we are pronouncing that correctly. And they had a couple thoughts and theories that they wanted to share with us. So the first one being that they also noticed how Fitz's desire for Starling kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. This need for quote unquote woman flesh. And so they were wondering if this is perhaps a question that, or a thought that was put into Fitz's mind by the coterie that they're trying to make him miss Molly. Mm Mm-hmm. Or think of Molly uh, or... Yes. And instead it backfired and turned into him suddenly being like, wow, Starling's really pretty and I... She's nearby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's nearby. And so that I thought that was a really interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Like it turned out to be bad timing because that is pretty much exactly when they made up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They, Mm -hmm. they, you know, had the talk with Ketrikin and then talked themselves and then were on good terms again, so it kind of came as bad timing and almost thwarted the Coterie's plans. Right. It's an interesting thought, definitely. I I just, I'm very curious if Robin Hobb thinks that the Coterie influenced Fitz's mind during this or if his walls were too tight and he was di- distracted too much. Right. I really want to know if some things are not necessarily excusable, but influenced by the Coterie. Right. The actions that he took, because... If they were, I could see this being one of them. Right. This is definitely something that I never thought too in depth about. I mean, obviously it does come out of a little bit of nowhere and it's, it feels a little weird. Yeah, it feels like it. I, I, I don't say personally, I don't think it comes out of nowhere because there was that initial attraction before when they right. first met and stuff like that. It just kind of resurfaces out of nowhere. I'll say right. <laughs> it comes it, back. It feels very horny teenage boy. And yeah. like, I guess that's kind of what he is. But <laughs> and again, I I always have to remind myself this at the core of Fitz's being. He is lonely. Right. That is what he was growing up. That is what makes him reach out towards uh, his wit companions. That is at the core of most of his decisions to be honest, is that he is lonely and looking for a place. So the Coterie playing on that emotion is smart by them, if that is them. Yes. And definitely something that I will have to think more on. (laughs) They also had a question about how Kettle reacts to the dragons. Yes, the stone dragons. And how she seems very sad. And they were wondering if perhaps this is an instance where Kettle is not telling as much as she knows that maybe it is hurting her to see what an honorable coterie can do that 
people who were loyal to their kingdom and group got together and made this beautiful piece of work and she will never be able to do that now because of what she's done and the way that her skill has been taken away or if maybe this is just you know she knows they're skilled in some way and so it's sad to think about the skill not touching her anymore i feel like that it's the first one that you were describing that yes that she has regrets but guilt and you know deep down non-confronted bad feelings about coteries and how they work and she doesn't know that this is what coteries make but i think that she has very strong suspicions because remember she never went here she never right knew for certain but they knew that beyond the mountain is where skilled ones go and they do something i don't think they know it's like carve a dragon and go into it although she does know the jampe rhyme but yeah. like wise men go but to that, that's what i'm saying there's no like details right in there so i i think when she saw them they're like this must be it right so she doesn't know for certain but strongly suspects yeah and is thinking on i not only prevented myself from doing this but my whole coterie i destroyed my coterie over this and my sister's life yeah and all all the the bad feelings kind of came bubbling up and i I can definitely see that being the reason and I, i agree with that it's a good call out yeah, and they also said that they're happy that Kettle gets a happy ending, kind of. And I would agree. I think that it's nice that Kettle gets redemption and and is able to do the, the stone dragon in the end. But yeah. I think it is really hard to tell how much Kettle knows because she is so closed off about it. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much for the pet pics as well. Yes, they are all so cute. You're very happy. To see them. (laughs) Next, we're going to talk about an email we got from listener Ellen. Um, Ellen has a. She has has some thoughts on our discussion about autism and the wit and the similarities between them. She is kind of speaking on some similarities that they have and then also draws attention to like glaring differences in her experience of what she knows about that and how they can be totally separate as well so i think in in ellen's email here she's trying to get that there are some interesting parallels but it's not a direct analogy right like you can't like just substitute it in uh, but she definitely agrees with the interesting parallels of, you know, the oversensitization and kind of shutting down of fits in certain aspects, especially like, you know, I'm thinking of like the battlefield, like just too many emotions, too many things going on. He just kind of shuts off his brain. Right. And at certain points like that happens, not just in battle, but in different situations as well. Right. She also brings up that, autistic people seem to be able to sense moods a little bit easier than Mm -hmm. regular people. And that a lot of times that they gravitate towards uh, animals just because there's not that layer of. Yeah. The socializing, the socialization aspect and the communication is just kind of. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Animals are more open about what they're feeling. Whereas humans 
we aren't always as honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that leads Ellen to the biggest difference that she points out in this email. And that's the unspoken social rules that are that could be confusing and exhausting to someone with autism to understand and follow along with. And compared to Fitz, who one, this is my own interpretation, who one has. I know it's not a one to one comparison, but he is trained to be a social person and yes. be a spy. I know it's not like yeah. we're not saying that the wit is autism. Yes, it's we're just not. parallels. Um, but it's an extra ability for him to go out around the world. It's not a lack that other people like compared to other people. It's just right. an extra sense. And Ellen's idea of this is like for autistic people, socialization and those rules following along with all of those specific things that people sometimes subconsciously know. Right seems to be sometimes a lack right and the right. wit is kind of the opposite it's an extra thing she says that uh, in the story it'd be a better comparison if everybody else had the wit and Fitz was the only one without it right and then they expected him to know what was rules going on. and all that yeah yep. exactly yeah. which I thought was a really interesting way to look at it mm -hmm. um, and it is cool to have someone who has more experience to tell us like their thoughts and what they see and just, yeah, it's, it is a really interesting theory that there are these parallels and that's kind of how I guess we all can like bring things into our lives is like you read something and you see something there that other people don't necessarily catch because they don't have the same life as you. And mm -hmm. so it's fun. And Ellen even said that she had never thought of it in that context before, but that she's very excited to now, think of it that way and to like look for more comparison because it had never occurred to her to think of it like that and so she's like very excited <laughs> to have this new way to look at it and um, I think that's something really cool about this podcast too is that we get to bring other people's ideas out into the world into the void and then we'll always get listeners who have never thought that way either and so everybody gets to think about new perspectives it's very fun yeah definitely definitely so thank you, Ellen, for that. It is a very interesting read. And finally, we're going to go to our Instagram DMs to talk about a little bit harder of a subject. <laughs> um, but listener Shreya sent in a really wonderful and well thought out message about the previous chapter where we talk about sexual assault and how it happens and just their experience in reading it in Hobb's world and what they like about the way Hobb, how Hobb herself handles sexual assault in her series. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting, a very interesting perspective. We have Shreya saying that Robin Hobb uses literary devices to one parallel what the world is like and then the last instance kind of like shows you know this is what you're glossing over right. so talking about how starling's story how cirilla's story of all of this trauma and an assault in their pasts is kind of by the reader easily covered up or by the characters easily glossed past because of 
A, they have unlikable parts about their personality. B, they're side characters. Right. You know, it's just like last chapter. It's just literally four or five pages in one chapter that we discussed. And all of these things can kind of be like moved past. And then finally we get to live ship traders with Althea, a main, main character. And Shreya is kind of pointing out, she takes your your face, points you into it and says, no, you can't look past this. Right. You can't gloss past this anymore. Look at the effects. And Shreya says that it's a very refreshing way in a world of fantasy that kind of just uses as it as a plot device. Right. And I know those stories and those the way that Robin Hobb handles it is very divisive. I've literally read, I think, two or three threads on uh, Robin Hobb subreddit about this. It really, really depends, it seems like to me, on your past, your personal past experiences of how you perceive Robin Hobb's writing of these subjects. Right. For some people, I'm I'm very glad that it's refreshing take and it is, you know, maybe helps them in their story and in their life. For some others, it is another case of fantasy authors using it as a plot device. Right. No, it's I don't know. It's a hard subject and we'll cover it a lot more in the next <laughs> next trilogy. Yeah, obviously. Unfortunately, this is not the only <laughs> the only touch of sexual assault mentioned, but I will say it is nice, I guess, to hear perspectives that don't view it as negatively. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, it helps me to read it less negatively because I don't I've never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a hate for the sexual assault trope in fantasy. I think it's overused and horrible and like it shouldn't be used as a plot device. It, It shouldn't be a character trait. It's something horrible that happens to people and i almost i almost always feel like it's diluting what actually happens to real people and i know that's probably never the intent of the author to like make people feel worse or to you know <laughs> to like jot it down to just a few lines in a book but i i feel myself being pulled in that cynical way of here we go again another character who well, her bitchiness can be explained away because yeah. she's something had horrible. something bad happen to her. <laughs> and I like I don't know. I, I'm of a person. I kind of wish that Starling just was a confident woman who liked sex. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I know that I sometimes say that I like wish that she had more self-worth. But I, I just mean that she seems to have a lot of internalized struggle which would also be interesting without sexual assault and i wish that had a chance to be explored more but i do think it's nice to remember that with althea this isn't something that's brushed over and even with starling this is a real thing we we're seeing the effects that it has on her Mm -hmm. we can see that the reason we can make the connect the dots of how she has been acting and some of the things that she's done. It has long ripple effects into the future, even, you know, 20 years later, or 15 years later, when she is with, uh, I forget 
the Lord's name, but when she's married and finally has the kid and everything, the, all of her decisions are because of those past convictions that she had after that event. Right. It's it's long-lasting effects that she had on her character, but it could have also been something else. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of like the argument that comes about. And what Shreya is talking about here is that that happens and then and it seems like it's a typical trope and then all of a sudden you're inside someone's head you're you're literally experiencing the same thing so you can't gloss over it you can't be like this is just a plot device right there are arguments against that of course and and we'll discuss both sides uh when we get to that trilogy but what Trey is saying here for for them it was a refreshing take and a parallel to the real world that right. we don't often see. Right. And I do want to say that in some ways I feel like I should be more grateful. I That's like a gross word to use in this topic, <laughs> but like it's something that's being discussed in fantasy. Series. Like it happens in real life, but also like it's a fantasy world where magic exists. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it kind of feels like, can't that be the one aspect that doesn't transfer over? I don't know. So I think on the one hand, it's something that happens in real life. So it will be reflected in works of art and the way that it's done by Hob does bring some people comfort. And I think that is good to remember that like it can be refreshing to see something depicted in certain ways. And it's good to know that it gives power to people out there and it's always also a good thing to keep in mind that even if you disagree like me <laughs> with uh, with how things are done or you don't like a certain aspect of a book that at least for someone out there it is helpful or it is refreshing and i think that that helps in reading it for me personally i think it softens the blow <laughs> of having to read about something so dark and this is i mean this goes back to what we've we've discussed multiple times as well in an extreme case of course for this but everybody takes something out of the book differently yes and and applies it to their own life i'm glad people can take out of it what they want and are yeah. able to some people it might help them out so yeah and i think it's good to know that art is a medium that is partaken in multiple ways yeah and that it is also a good reminder like like I said, that there are people out there. If there are people listening to this and feeling down because they're like, oh, I found it more refreshing. It's good to know that you're not alone and that that is definitely a valid point to have and mm-hmm. that it is OK. Like as long as you're not like glorifying it, like obviously right. that's problematic. Yeah. But like <laughs> but if you're just reading it and you, you're like finally something that feels more realistic, that doesn't feel like it's a plot device. Mm hmm. That's great. And you're not alone. (laughs) And if you feel the opposite, that is fine, too. You are also not alone because art is there to be critiqued. Yes. And (laughs) I don't know. I just I think that is part of why I find comfort in books is that we can take what we want out of it when we need to. Yeah. So thank you very much for the very thought provoking and very interesting perspective, Shreya. We really do appreciate the message. Yes. We'll, of course, as I mentioned, be speaking more on Althea when we get to her her series. Yes. And, you know, have many more years of podcasts. <laughs> well, Althea's next, so. Yeah, that's true. I guess this is probably a couple years out yet because <laughs> it's like the third book. Well, maybe second. I don't know. I haven't read them in a while. 
Anyways, anyway. thank you so much for sending that message. So thank you guys all for writing in and giving us your opinions. We love hearing it. We enjoy thinking of new perspectives. Obviously, we can't always have the most diverse perspectives between the two of us. So we welcome you guys joining in on the conversation and we look forward to hearing what you have to say next week. Bye.